0: I want you to look with me in your Bible in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. As we have been walking through the book of Genesis, not verse by verse, not even chapter by chapter, but just kind of uh, key concept through key concept, I want to uh, come to Genesis chapter 32. And I want to speak today on this subject, a righteous wrestling match. Now, there's a reason that I have written wrestling the way I have. Back in the '80s and the early '90s, when I was a fan, that's back when wrestling was real, by the way. Uh, it's a uh, that. Why are you laughing? Ain't nothing funny about that. <laughs> I mean, dead serious. Uh, that there was that was wrestling. That was that, today. It's wrestling. Today it's the soap opera drama. Uh, you know, it's kind of days of our lives on beating up steroids type of thing. And I think Marlena's still demon-possessed. So it's a completely different thing today. So that's why I titled it uh, a righteous wrestling match. Well, this is a real wrestling match. This is a real thing that's taking place. Plus, when you're a country boy who's born in Arkansas and then lived 20 years in Mississippi... Uh, It's rasslin'. That's just the way it is. It's pronounced rasslin'. So, uh, as we've worked through the book of Genesis, our focus has been on uh, how good God has been to people from the beginning. That is, you know, there there wasn't a a magical time later on in God's existence that he became good. He has always been good, and and we can see that in the very beginning, in the beginning books, uh, the beginning book of this Bible. Today we're going to see how the goodness of God is extended to a man named Jacob, and the way that goodness is extended is through a righteous wrestling match. And and in doing so, I think that we're going to learn a few truths today about prayer because that is the topic which this narrative uh, to which it's connected is this idea of prayer. Let me set the stage before we get to our text and try to learn some truths from it. Now remember, there is a conflict. with this conflict last week. There is a conflict between two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob, who is the younger brother, cheated Esau out of his inheritance, what became known in Bible times as the blessed the family blessing, the birthright. And it's uh, it's important for us to, to remember at the outset of this narrative what Jacob's name means. His name is Deceiver. His name is, is Trickster. And that's going to come into play as we see his life unfold. Well, when this happens, Esau was understandably mad. And so Esau decided, okay, uh, our dad will soon die. And when our dad dies, I want to give him a few the family a few days to mourn but then my goal at that point will be to kill Jacob Well, Jacob learns of Esau's murderous intent, so Jacob flees, and he has been gone from his homeland for some 30 years. For three decades, Jacob is living somewhere else because there's this tension and this threat between Esau and Jacob. During that time, Jacob has some success. In fact, it's not in our text today, but if you've got your Bible open, you can look back one chapter and see that God gave Jacob a clear message towards the end of this time in exile, that he was away from his homeland. In fact, in Genesis 31 and 3, God tells Jacob, I want you to return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. It's very important. God said, Jacob, I want you to go back home and ask As you go back home, understand, no believe, I will be with you. Well, as Jacob gets closer to home, having been gone for some three decades, he begins to wonder about what might take place when he has a confrontation with his brother Esau. In fact, as he's making his way back to his homeland, a messenger comes to him, and he says, hey, Esau's coming to meet you, and Esau has about 400 armed men with him. This, of course, led Jacob to pray, and Jacob gets a little bit concerned, and that's where we pick up in our text, in this is chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 9, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me, it's just a prayer of deliverance. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, don't miss what's happening in that text. On two different occasions, Jacob held up God's words in front of him. In verse 9, Jacob said, God, you told me to return to my land, and you promised you would do me good. Then in verse 12, he said, God, you said that if I would go, you would do me good. You would make my offspring a multitude, and God, that can't happen if I'm dead. Now, kind of as an aside, I think it's pretty important to to note that this promise to Jacob regarding his descendants is based on God's promise to Abraham. Now, in most contexts, that promise would pass from generation to generation to the oldest child. So in in normal circumstances, it would be Esau who would receive that promise to have a multitude. But you remember that Jacob stole the birthright of Esau. He stole the inheritance, and part of that inheritance was this promise to Abraham. And so now it has shifted to Jacob, and he is the one who is promised to have this multitude of people. Well, later that night, we read this. You skip down to verse 22. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven – doesn't that sound like a fun trip? (laughs) And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he, the man, touched his, Jacob's, hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, you can't blame that on you when you get up with a stiff hip. You can't use the same narrative. Your name's not Jacob, and you weren't the guy who got touched by uh, in this wrestling match. Verse 26, Then Jacob said, let me go for, or the, the, the man said, let me go for the day is broken But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he, the man, said to him, Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he, the man, said, why is it that you ask my name? I don't know. Maybe because you just tore my hip socket out of joint and you just changed my birth name to a different one. i just like to have a name to use when I tell this story to future generations. You know, it seems kind of simple. Who said this to you? Can even produce a name? The man doesn't tell him his name. So who is this man? Look at last verse 29 says, and there he blessed him. Verse 30 gives us a hint as to who this man is that Jacob is wrestling with. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And then what happens is that Jacob, with his new name, he continues on his journey to meet Esau, and as they are marching towards each other, God moves in the heart of Esau. Esau sees Jacob coming, and Esau runs to embrace him, and they weep in each other's arms for a long time. Jacob is reconciled to his brother, and Jacob becomes the father of the Jewish nation of Israel. When we talk about Israel, This is Jacob, that is of whom we are speaking. Jacob is the father of this nation with the most well-known descendant being Jesus Christ. Well, what then does this righteous wrestling match have to teach us about our lives today? And remember, it is in the context, I believe it's important to understand the narrative, in the context of prayer that Jacob is is crying out to God for deliverance, and then he's having a conversation with God himself as he wrestles with him. What does that have to teach us today? I'm very glad you asked. Because there are a few things that I want to share with you, a few lessons, in fact three of them, that it teaches me. The first lesson is this. We laid hold of many of God's promises through prayer. We lay hold to many of the promises of God through the practice of prayer. You see, Jacob held on to this man, and Jacob refused to let him go until the text tells us in verse 29, and he blessed him. Now, what's interesting is that when you read the entire story of Jacob's life, you'll notice that at Jacob's birth, God gave the promise of this blessing. It wasn't that Jacob was a grown man when God, no, when when he was born, God prophesied that Jacob would have this blessing. In fact, if if you look back sometime in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, God speaks to Jacob's mother, Rebecca, and God tells Rebecca the older son, Esau, he shall serve the younger son, Jacob. And then a couple of chapters later, or in fact, one chapter later, in Genesis chapter 26, God appears to Jacob's father, Isaac, and makes a promise that all nations, will be blessed through this offspring, Jacob. And so, what you see Jacob doing when he has this wrestling match with God is you see Jacob, he is laying hold of those promises and more, and he refuses to let go until the promised blessing was given directly to him from God. And catch this, as Jacob prayed, there were two times that he held up God's promises to, him, to God himself. If you look in verse 9, he reminds God of what God had said. If you look back at verse 9, it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. In verse 9, he reminds God of what God said back in chapter 31. And then in verse 12, he reminds God of what God said back in chapter 28. Jacob laid hold of the promises of God through a night of prayer. I want to offer to you a word of caution. The Bible is full of promises, some 3,000 plus. And some of those promises apply to specific and unique situations. And the fulfillment of those promises may not apply to you literally. I'm not talking about a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it type of paradigm in our spiritual life and in our prayer. That being said... The fact remains that there are many of the promises of God that are left unclaimed in the lives of those who who have a relationship with Him simply because they have not laid hold of them through prayer. Let me give an example or two. God makes a promise in Psalm 23 that goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. We need to claim that promise every single day so that we realize that no matter how dark or deep a valley or circumstance that we are in, that God has not abandoned us. In fact, his goodness and mercy, it is with us. We must claim that promise We have to lay hold of that promise at prayer. Or later, God promises repeatedly in Scripture, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When you walk through difficult days and you feel all alone, you have to choose to claim that promise that you are never alone. Look, Jesus has offered his blood to provide his promises. Lay hold of them things in Jesus Christ. Lay hold of those promises In Jesus. This this righteous wrestling match reminds me of that truth. Here's a second truth that I learn from this. Prayer positions us to experience the blessing of God through submission. Okay, I want you to think about the wording of this, and I'll show you why I draw this lesson or how I draw this lesson from this text. Okay, prayer puts us into a posture or a position to experience the blessing of God through our submission. I want you to think with me for a second about Jacob's life. The very first time Jacob tries to get a blessing from God, he tries to win it, right? Remember his name? Deceiver. Trickster. Trickster. The very first time we see him trying to get a blessing, he goes out, fixes some stew, brings it back into his father. His father says, who is it? And he says, this is Esau. Jacob says, my name is Esau. He's trying to get the blessing through contriving and manipulation and deception. Now when he is wrestling with God... God asked him, what is your name? Now, do you really think God didn't know his name? And even if you take the position that this is not God, let's say if you take the position this is at the you, you, the only other viable option you have is to think this is an angel from God, do you think God's going to send an angel without knowing a man's name? God, I believe he'd be wrestling with God, and and, and God does not ask him, what's your name? Because he doesn't know what his name is. God says, what's your name? And when Jacob answers, guess what Jacob has to do? He has to come face to face with who he is, because literally, Jacob's name means deceiver. Ya'cob, you've been Ya'cobbed. And Jacob has to say, my name is Ya'cob. My name is deceiver. My name is liar. And then God says, okay, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. See, Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, tells the man who he really is, and in so doing, God brings him to a point of conviction and to a point of repentance. And in this way, Jacob surrenders to this man, this God that has encountered him. He admits who he is, and then he's given a new name, and Jacob does not trick to get this new name. Jacob is given this new name by God Israel, which that name speaks of God giving the blessing, not Jacob lying in order to get it. He changes his name to reflect that the very being and and essence of who he is is changed. And, And some of us, we fall into this trap. Some of us have spent so much time doing what Jacob tried to do, so many of us have been deceiving and wrestling and worrying with the hope of winning some blessing from God. I want you to hear me well this morning when I say this. The blessing that you seek will not come from your efforts. It will come from your submission. You see, Jacob won by submitting himself and losing to God. In this righteous wrestling match, sorry, wrestling match, Jacob taps out by admitting to God who he is, and God gives him a new name. And you know what else? For the rest of his life, Jacob will walk with a limp, and every time he takes that limp, he'll be reminded of how God blessed him through submission. Prayer puts us into a position to experience the blessings of God through our submission, through us losing to God, through us giving in and being real with God and telling him who we are. And here's the third lesson that we learned. The source of the promises of God is greater than their substance. Okay, read back over that, think about what we're saying. The source of the promises of God, where those promises come from, is greater than the promise itself, than the substance, the the content of that promise. Okay, when go back in our minds to our text. When Jacob decides it's time to have a prayer meeting and to cry out to God, he does that because he's scared that Esau is going to take him out. He's afraid of Esau and Esau's soldiers. And when you look at his dialogue with God, God never one time promises Jacob that he'll be safe. God never one time promises Jacob that he'll win if they get into a fist fight. Jacob does not know the outcome. God doesn't say, all right, Esau's going to calm down. Just go ahead and go out and meet him. God, God just lets Jacob know it's time to keep returning to the course, to return to his home country as God has instructed him. And Jacob's task was to trust that God would keep his promise to be with him. There is no promise that Jacob will live through this encounter. In fact, God has now made Jacob limp. And when you're trying to run away, limp does not help and now he can't get away quite as fast as he once would have. The only thing that Jacob is assured of after this encounter with God is the personal presence of God would be with him. Listen, tune in to me real real, real quick. The source of God's blessings, which is God, the source of God's promises and blessing is greater than the substance of those promises. It's greater than the blessing themselves. A relationship with God is better than any other blessing God will give you. The relationship, the source of that blessing is greater than any of those blessings in and of themselves. You see, in in this righteous wrestling match, Jacob did not find a resolution to his problem, but he did find reassurance of his relationship with God. God said, I will be with you. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul, three times, he asks, he begs God for a specific blessing And God finally told him no. But then God reassured him that his grace, his presence, would be with him. Look, God may not promise you that you'll get that specific job or that specific raise. God may not promise you that he will heal a specific disease. But God does promise you himself And the source of those blessings and those promises is greater than their substance. You see, sometimes the greatest effect that a night of wrestling with God has is not a change of your situation, it's a change of your identity. Jacob's situation does not change, but his identity does Jacob thought Esau was his main problem, and Jacob thought that he needed God to do something with Esau. In reality, Jacob was his own biggest problem. It was Jacob who needed to be changed. Hey, sometimes in prayer, God changes the situation, but sometimes God changes you. This is what happens in the life of Jacob as he learns anew that the source of, of God's blessing is always greater than its substance. But you know, as, as I tend to do when I read the Old Testament, I always read it with the question of, what is this showing me about Jesus? Because I believe, and if you've been around here any length of time, you've heard me say it, I believe that everything in the Old Testament is designed to point us to Jesus Everything in the Gospels is designed to exalt before us Jesus, and everything after the Gospels is designed to point us back to Jesus or forward to the day in which he'll return. I think the center point, the centerpiece of history of the Bible of life is Jesus. So then, taken together, what does this show us about Think about this. If you've ever wrestled with your kids when they were smaller, I don't know, this may be the wrong question to ask. I was going to say, did you literally body slam them? But you might have. <laughs> no, if you are wrestling with someone who's much weaker than you, like a kid, you're not going to put the full weight of your ability say the full weight of your muscle? But for some of us, it's just the full weight of weight. Uh, (laughs) I can testify to that this morning. Uh, You're not going to put your full weight upon them. Think about this. Jacob is wrestling with God. What happens if God puts his full weight into the match? (laughs) Jacob is pulverized. Jacob's done. It is over. Instead, God voluntarily held himself back. He voluntarily became weak. Does that not give you a picture of somebody else who will come from God? His son, Jesus Christ? See, in this moment in Genesis, God feigned weakness to bring Jacob salvation. Centuries later, the full weight that Jacob deserved, it did come down, and it came down upon Jesus Christ. Jacob held on to God at the risk of his life to get the blessing for himself. Watch Jesus held on to the cross at the cost of his life, not to get the blessing for himself, to get the blessing for me and to get the blessing for you. God cared enough to come down to Jacob and wrestle with him. God cared enough for us that He came down and took on flesh and wrestled with our sin until it squeezed the life out of Him. And now, because He is alive, because of His resurrection, He has united Himself to us forever, promising never to leave us, never to forsake us. And the source of our relationship, God Himself, is greater than any of the benefits that come from that way. Really. If you have nothing else in your life, if you have no clothes to wear, if you have no food to eat, if you, know, if you have no roof over your head, if you have a relationship with God, that is the greatest blessing you'll ever have. And so, I questioned you very simply this morning: is do you have that? Do you have a relationship with God? A preacher, I've been baptized. I didn't ask you if you've been baptized. You can be baptized every tadpole in Florida knows you by name. And they'll not make a lick of difference. It's important, but it's not what's going to get you to heaven. I serve on committees. I'm not asking if you serve on committee. I sing in the choir. I'm not, I, I didn't ask you that. I ask you. Do you have a relationship with God? Has there been a time in your life when you cried out to God? Your heart was repentant of sin and you chose to believe that Jesus lived a life you could never live and he died a death you should have died. For you see he has promised to save all of those who call upon him. If you've never laid hold of that promise, you can't lay hold of any others. But if today you have not laid hold of that promise, if through faith you will, God promises that he will save you, he will adopt you, he will pick you up from that miry pit, put your feet upon a rock, and put a new song in your mouth. As we prepare to end our time of worship this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to respond in that way, to take the next step, whether you're here or whether you're watching us online, at whatever point in the future. If, if God has brought you to this point to take the next step, we want to invite you to take that next step. Here in the sanctuary, you look at the pew in front of you, you'll find a yellow card. That yellow card is about your next step. It mentions all the different next steps that you might need to take. If there's a step on that card that you need to take then just mark what step that is. Give us your information. When you leave here today, drop that in the boxes that are going to be outside as you exit, and we'll follow up with you that week. If you don't want to do that here on site or if you're watching us online, you can go to fbcmilton.org slash decision. Just go to our home page, see the decision uh, image, and just click it, and you can let us know what decision you need to take. Don't leave here today wasting the opportunity to wrestle with God. Because as we submit ourselves to him, he gives us his blessings. We're very thankful that you have.